Welcome, welcome, geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new episode of Geek to Me Radio. Tonight, we have Eisner Award winner, Inkpot Award winner, Mike Carlin, talking about his career. We'll talk about his run as the editor for the Superman books. We'll get into all that and more. Stand by. We're talking TV, comics and movies, and video games. Star Trek from Star Wars will try to explain The Atrobatches from Robert Houses will ring rolls and balls To be the greatest Pokemon Master You must catch them all You must catch them all If you're driving around the greater St. Louis area tonight, listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS, hello to all of you who might be driving to or from a holiday party. Who knows? Hope you're enjoying your Sunday night. If you're streaming us out there on the world on the KTRS app or on the web itself, hello to you there. No video tonight. We were going to have video, but this computer in this studio has malfunctioned, unfortunately. So we are just going to do it old school, voices only. However, if you are hearing us after the fact, in the podcast form, on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Hello to all of you. Thank you for listening there. We do appreciate that. And you really don't care if we have video because you're listening to this after the fact. But that's okay. We've got a great show. This is a new live show. Last week it was a, a new show, but it was pre-recorded. I had my conversation with Jerry Ordway covering the 30th anniversary of the return of Superman. Serendipitously enough, as the calendar happens to fall, my next guest knows a little something about Superman as well. He is an Eisner Award winner, Inkpot Award winner for his editing work. He's a comic book writer. He's got a story career in the business. Also, we'll talk about his work as the DC creative director of animation. We've got the great Mike Carlin. How are you, sir? Good evening, everybody. How's things? Good, good. I appreciate your time on a Sunday night during this busy holiday season. And the sound is okay here from the speakerphone? Yeah, no, I think you sound good. And my executive producer, Joey V, has given me the thumbs up. So, uh, yes, everything is perfect. Excellent. Um, I apologize to you for the uh, audio troubles. We're going to have Mike on video with us, like I said, so that we could all see one another. But we'll maybe do that another time. We'll try to get that working again. It's this well, wonky computer. I, I just I feel bad because I clipped my toenails and <laughs> grind my fangs just for this occasion. Well, see, I usually do that just because it's the <laughs> holiday season anyway. So, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, you Krampuses <laughs> are all alike. <laughs> Um, so much to talk about and there's different places I want to pick up on this. Uh, but I was, I, 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 one of the things when doing this show, obviously, um, it was, I started the show after Mark Gruenwald had already passed and he's just one of those people. Everybody talks about anytime I talk to a creative type who worked with him, they glow about Mark Gruenwald and you were his assistant editor. You brought on with him under Marvel. Uh, actually one of my first captain America comics was a comic that you wrote. It was the one with Captain Britain and Captain America teaming up. Uh -huh. um, but it, talk a little bit, if you could, just for a moment, about working under 
Mike Car, um, you're Mike Carlin, working under Mark Grunewald mm-hmm. at an early age, kind of being brought in, and what uh, how that shaped your editorial process going forward. Well, we both ended up answering to either Mike or Mark while we were working together because people kept mixing it up just like that. <laughs> uh, I it, I it was just just luck, sheer luck. I I started my career. Uh, I got out of college. I went to the School of Visual Arts. I brought my portfolio up to Crazy Magazine because I wanted to be an artist, but my art, I could never do superheroes or straight comics. I, my stuff is funnier and, you know, just not, not really geared towards that. <clears throat> and I brought my stuff up to Crazy Magazine. And just by being up in the offices and uh, dropping off pages, uh, Mark Grunewald had gotten promoted and the editor of Crazy said, hey, do you want to be an assistant editor? And I was like, sure. What's that? I don't know <laughs> what that is. But I, I I interviewed for the job. And Mark and I, honestly, we hit it off right off the bat. It was just really great. And uh, we became best friends. I mean, he uh, he ended up being my best man at my wedding. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I obviously I was at his wedding, but he had better men than me to be in it. And uh, he he just was uh, he was a good guy. We really pretty much started just doing everything together, whether it was at the office or after hours. Uh, For me, I was like, wow, these Marvel guys are including me in everything in all the reindeer games. They're they're letting me come to the movies with them and hanging out with them. And then Mark and myself and another guy, Elliot Brown, we started doing our own cable TV comedy show together after hours. Huh. So we just did everything together. And uh, he was, he really was a great guy. And uh, you, you're going to hear glowing things about him generally from people. And uh, it's, uh, he, he and Archie Goodwin, the two of the greats who passed away yes. very close together, uh, are just the, those are the guys who are going to be remembered as the nicest guys ever in comics, as well as being talented. You know, I uh, I assume when I pass, it will be a, a mix. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we all kind of wonder. It's like I, yeah, it's one of those wishes we'd all like to attend our own funeral so we can see what people say about us. Well, I, I actually don't want to know. I don't want to. <laughs> I want to. I'm going to be hope gleefully blissfully oblivious to all of that to everything actually by then yeah yeah i, I live my <laughs> life very blissfully ignorant to everything so that, that's fine there's nothing wrong with that in death well, we either just, you we must have known the, the right you, foot together we were perfect we were perfect together and i i had the pleasure of meeting his wife uh she was at Trificon a couple two or three years ago she was just uh-huh. there because they have so many creative types at that event, and I had the pleasure of meeting her. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, it's one of those ones, you know, you read the stories, all the uh, the stuff he did in Marvel Comics, and it's just such a huge print on the uh, on the, the industry. And I always like to hear from the different stories of people who worked with him, so that was, that was great. Well, his wife, uh, she definitely is out there keeping the flame alive for him, for sure. Yeah. She really is. Uh... She's working hard for that, and that's great. The part of the beauty of us being really friendly was that later on, when I left Marvel and was hired by DC, we ended up doing a crossover series called uh, Amalgam Comics. Yes, where it was, it was Marvel versus DC, and we came up with the whole thing. Me and Mark and the two writers, Peter David and Ron Mars, and we literally just hold up in Mark's apartment and 
came up with the whole premise, including the idea of mixing the characters together as blended characters. And it was the most fun I've ever had in comics. I can imagine. My goodness, did I, I distinctly stuff. remember those those glorious covers when Iron Lantern and uh, you know all the <laughs> Lobo the Duck was, <laughs> was so much fun. It was just it, it was great, and people would ask us, you know, what were the characters you didn't use? And I was like, we pretty much used all the good ones. Yeah, uh, the only good one we didn't use was uh, Giant Size Man Service Alfred Jarvis. Oh wow, <laughs> that, that'd have been fun. <laughs> Almost like Batmite and uh, Mr. Mixaplick teaming up. Yeah, I don't know what you call them. Yeah, I, that's that. Bat, that... Bat Mixy. <laughs> Someone smarter than me will figure that. I'm sure, which shouldn't uh, shouldn't surprise yeah, many well, people. If you're not paying me, I'm not going to come that, up with I, anything. And who can blame you there? That's that's a good attitude. <laughs> that that was. I remember because th- when that came out, the whole DC versus Marvel, you know, four parter leading up to the Amalgam Universe. Um, mm-hmm. that was one of those things I remember people talking about, oh, well, they were going to do this back in 1986 with, you know, George Perez had already done some preliminary art and they were going to have a big Marvel versus DC, which I think that kind of ended right. up being later the JLA versus Avengers kind of tied into part of that. Yeah, it was always the JLA Avengers project. It was never Marvel versus DC. Okay. It was like, it was just uh, DC's turn to do one. We had just done uh, Teen Titans meets the X-Men. Yes. Yeah. And that was by Chris Claremont and Walt Simonson. And uh, and then it was DC's turn to do one. And it, it, it was kind of controversial at the time, but uh, it, it DC got a little ahead of themselves and started working on it without getting approval from Marvel. And oh. it, was, it was a little fishy. Hmm. And I, I can speak on this because I was at Marvel and then I was at DC, and I ended up being the editor of JLA Avengers when it finally came together with Kurt Busiek and George Perez. And it was, uh, it was kind of like, I, I've had a lot of like these things, these circle of life things where I've been involved at one point or another. And then over the course of 40 years, I just, I, I'm still involved with some of these things. <laughs> and it's pretty, pretty fun. And that, you know, that's the beauty of actually having an actual long career at one or two companies. And uh, it, it has been a great thing for me. I can imagine. I mean, that's just you. You get to play in both worlds because you know I'm. I, I, I as much as I love comic books, and it's not that I'm knocking the independent because I do pick up the occasional independent comic. But yeah. I've always been a Marvel and DC kid because when I came up reading comics in the in the '80s, those were the big ones to read. So it's kind of like just what I'm naturally used to. Well, I like a lot of independent stuff too, and you know, it, at the same time, I really am a fan of comics. Mm-hmm. And I'm a fan of the action adventure stuff as well as the funny stuff. Uh, I like more humor in my comics than more people do, which is why I'm probably not uh, a popular writer because I try to make things a little funnier. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, it's like, you know, I really liked, oh, I, 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 that's what made Amalgam so great. Yes. Was that I was a fanboy. Mark was a fanboy. Peter David was a fanboy. And Ron Mars was a fanboy. We we were fans being allowed to play in this crazy sandbox that nobody got to play in. And we, they really let us do whatever we wanted to do. And we really, I think we came up with something that was A, unique, and B, really fun when it was done. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I've got the, uh, I, I collect promo posters and I've got the, 
uh, the Blue Devil promo poster. It's the 24 by 18 <laughs> that says making comics fun again was DC's yeah. thing. And that, that's one of the things that series that, you know, that, that you all worked on made comics fun again. I loved picking up those comic books and it was very different. And I liked how you amalgamated some of those characters. I, I'm going to commission someone one of these days to make an Iron Lantern costume because I'd love to see something like that <laughs> be cosplayed out there in the world. Uh, you know, there was some of that going on back back then. You know, it, that's that's also almost that's 25 or 30 years ago. too. That's hard to believe, man. Um, Every time someone uh, mentions the 90s, I'm like, that was just 10 years ago. What are you talking about? Very odd. <laughs> I can't believe I finally got to retire. I I wanted to retire for a long time from D.C. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, when you say retire, because I feel like, you know, someone like you who's always worked so hard and done so much stuff in the business and you know, had your hands in the creative areas of it. Do you really feel like you're retired? I mean, I'm sure you still consume the content. People probably still reach out to you for stuff. Is it one of those things? Yeah, is it I, a hard retirement? No, no, it's not at all. And I, I, I actually don't call it a retirement usually myself. I call it that I don't work at DC anymore. That's okay. all. <laughs> and uh, and that is after 37 years, <clears throat> that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good run. I, I yeah. feel like it was... It's okay to let other people handle this stuff now, too. Uh, at the same time, if my phone rings and somebody wants me to do something, I get to pick and choose what I do now. I don't have to do it just because someone told me to do it. I'm sure that's I don't nice, have to yeah. do it because it's, uh, you know, it, it becomes, it, this is going to sound stupid, but it's a never-ending battle. It's a, a real treadmill to be on to put out a monthly uh, bunch of comics. It's uh, There's I'm so sure. many I'm and sure the, the, every single editor is working on, you know, five to ten comics a month. And it's uh, it becomes hard. It's just tough, you know, and it's uh, it's nice to have a break after all that time. And uh, with my severance pay, I get to have a break for a while. And I'm also now old enough to actually retire if I want to. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's going to be fine the way it is. I think it's going to be really good. Uh, I get to read a lot of the books I've been buying for 40 years now that, that <laughs> the ones that don't have pictures in them. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've got quite the, a few stacks around the house here. I can imagine. What what type, <clears throat> just out of curiosity, what type of books do you normally like to consume, actual book books? Are they murder mysteries? Do you read biographies? What's your What's your kind of staple? Well, I'll read a biography if it's of somebody that I actually, you know, uh, admire or appreciate. You know, like I've read the biography of uh, Michael O'Donoghue, you know, mm. people like that. Uh, uh, Vivian Stanchel from the Bonzo Dog Band. I read those kinds of biographies, but I'm not, a, I don't care really about Cleopatra. No offense. Right. She was not that funny. <laughs> <It's> very, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> notoriously unfunny Cleopatra, I got to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, maybe it's time for us to start working on the funny Cleopatra movie. I don't know. I think that might be a uh, genre, uh, historical funny things. And they just kind of send up. I think we need uh, need to bring back Mel Brooks and get some more of these hum humorous comedies out there. Well, I like drunk history for, yeah, for a yeah. lot of those reasons. Uh, so, yeah, you know, so I read that kind of stuff. I read Chuck Palahniuk, Palahniuk, uh, Palahniuk, however you say his name, uh, the guy who wrote uh, Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. And I read all his books uh, over the years, and I, I really like him a lot. I think he's very daring and, and again, creative. He'll he'll do stuff that you don't expect, and he'll do stuff that is not what uh, you expect. And that, to me, I appreciate that kind of creativity. Surprises. Yeah, I like that. 
Uh, and that's part of, you know, like all the stuff I work on, Amalgam was a surprise to people. People didn't see it coming, you know, and if you want to switch to the death of Superman now, the fact that we managed to keep a lot of that stuff secret at that yeah. time, I mean, thank God, there was, thank God there was no internet. I know. But yeah, I, I recorded everybody. I that's and it's amazing to think about because I, I I recorded my interview with Jerry Ordway actually about a month ago. I knew it was before mm. the return of Superman 30th hit the stands. And I uh-huh. we talked about that as one of the things I'm like, boy, you, you were doing all this stuff and people knew stuff was coming. But I can't imagine with if we had social media and the 24 hour news cycle like we do now back then. Uh-huh. That was a huge groundbreaking story. I, my mom cut out the uh, front page of the entertainment section of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, because you guys had a whole full-page spread on the death of Superman. Yeah, I mean, it was it was wild. And, and honestly, <clears throat> what the news broke because of the solicitation cycle in comics. We have to solicit the books ahead of time for comic shops, so they get to see it. And there was just one reporter on Long Island who happened to be a comic fan, saw the book soliciting uh, upcoming issues, and he saw that we were going to be killing Superman and he put it in, you know, Long Island's Newsday uh, newspaper. And then every other reporter just jumped on it. It was like huh. it, it really taught me that a lot of reporters, they don't find the news. They copy the news. And it was <laughs> uh, it, it was really amazing. And in a way, we tried to stop people from reporting about it because it was going to be two or three months before the comics existed. <clears throat> and people were going to go to the comic shops and they wouldn't be the comic they were looking for. And then right. in three months when they heard about it again, they might say, ah, that's old news. But that's not what happened. People stayed with it. And that was lucky for us. And I specifically remember what was going on at DC at that point. The 90s were crazy because you killed Superman. You Not you personally, but you broke Batman's back. We have a <laughs> brand new Wonder Woman. Hal Jordan gets more or less killed off and uh you yep. know after he's his parallax thing but we had this whole new crop of superheroes in the 90s and what i think is most amazing to me as a comic book fan who's been reading now for 40 plus years a lot of those characters are still around we're still talking about john henry irons as steel we yeah. still have kyle rainier as one of the you know member of the green lantern corps there's still Azrael is still out there jean paul valley a lot of times what seems like a gimmick doesn't always stick, but the stuff you guys did back then really stuck. What do you attribute that to? I just think that it was uh, it was time for some fresh ideas. And at the same time, we were building on all the old ideas. And again, a lot of it was because we were all fans of comics. And we were reverential to the for, to what had gone before and to the creators that had gone before. But at the same time, we weren't afraid to do something surprising. We wanted to do something that would shake it up. None, none of this was ever meant to be permanent, you know, and even, you know, people joke about it. But when characters die, oh, they'll come back again. Right. It's like, yeah, they do. But how do they? Is there is there an interesting way to do that? You know, how Jordan going bad was not what people expected. Right. But we, we got 10 years worth of stories out of that. Yeah. And that and then he came back and was the great Hal Jordan again. You know, the right writer came along, Jeff Johns, and he just shined up that old, you know, seashell and made it work again. And it's just like, it, it, it's okay to cycle it, especially 
by the time we killed Superman, he'd been around for over 50 years. Yeah. And it was, it, it was okay to do something outrageous as long as it was done respectfully, which I think we did. And I think the whole idea, the, the hubris of thinking you could replace Superman, we made it a point of the story. The four new Superman, none of them were Superman. We can't come up with a replacement for Superman. Nobody should come up with a replacement for Superman. Superman is Superman. You can come up with guys who are like Superman or do their own thing with a Superman suit on, but it there's only one Superman, yeah. you know? Yeah. And part of, you know, when we were doing all this stuff, we brought all the writers and artists out to California, and uh, we, we were going to go to San Diego Comic-Con, and we stopped first in L.A. because they were starting to do a show called Lois and Clark. And we all went to the studio and met with the writers and the actors. And we just talked to them about stuff. And uh, uh, John Shea, who played Lex Luthor, was so interested in hearing what we had to say hmm. that I, it definitely, I hope it shaped what he did. But it was like, it was, it was an amazing thing. But while we were in L.A., my boss, Jeanette Kahn, set up a dinner with Jerry Siegel, who was one of the creators of Superman. Sure, yeah. And we, all of us went out to dinner. Wow. And it was the greatest thing ever. Because we got to not only meet Jerry Siegel, but to talk to him and for him to come and say to me, he goes, I get it. I killed Superman too. He wrote a story called The Death of Superman years before Mm -hmm. we we got to it. But his, you know, in the old stories, they got it dealt with by the end of the story right we kind of we dragged it out i guess but he goes i get it you need to shake up everybody and do this kind of thing every now and then he thought it was great he loved it wow and that's a new half of it, it was a blessing from the boss i was know? gonna say was getting amazing. his stamp of approval that's a, <laughs> that's a big thing it was great and he also he knew a lot of writers and artists because he saw them selling signed editions on QVC at the time. Oh, wow. And he just was like, he was just a fan of the whole thing and how big it was and how, how it, it was, it was a great thing. He thought it was great. And I was very appreciative that he told us that he didn't have to do that. Uh, and it was really a fun dinner. It was really great. And in case you're just now joining us, we are talking with Mike Carlin, Eisner Award winner, Inkpot Award winner, editor of the Superman comics, worked on Marvel comics. We've already talked about 24 minutes, which has flown by. I'm going to put you on hold for just a moment, Mike. We're going to take a quick commercial break. You're okay to stick with me for a while longer, yes? Yes, sir. All right, perfect. We are going to take a very quick commercial break. We're going to come right back chatting more with Mike Carlin. If you have any comments or questions, my chat window is down. I can't see anything, unfortunately. I know Joey's monitoring some, but you can text your questions. If you have a question for Mike Carlin, you can text us at 84126. Just include your first name and your question. We'll ask that live on the air. You're listening to geek to me Radio on the Big 550 KTRS. Please stand by. Hi, this is George Newbern, the voice of Superman. You are listening to geek to me Radio. Welcome back to geek to me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall. Heard here every Sunday night on the Big 550 KTRS, our first show of December. I've got Joey B right across from me. My favorite place to be on a Sunday night, i got to be honest. 
Uh, want to make sure we tell you about our official comic book sponsor, Bugs Comics and Games. If you're anywhere in the greater St. Louis, St. Charles area, head on out to see Larry Quiggins, the owner of Bugs Comics and Games. You walk in the door, you'll see a smiling face looking for something new. What can I help you with? He's going to be able to direct you to what you're looking for. If you don't know what you're looking for, he'll ask you some questions. And I love it because it, having Larry is like having your own comic concierge there to help you out personally. Like I've seen people walk in the store with their kids. Well, he kind of likes Spider-Man and well, what kind of Spider-Man? And Larry will go over to the boxes and start pulling comics out. Uh, they've got everything at the store too, which is great because they've got new issues, back issues, toys, games, old board games. They've got Pokemon cards. They've got your supplies because it's one of the things when you go into a comic book store and you just see new comics, to me, that's not a comic book store. I mean, they sell new comics, but I want back issues. And they have boxes and boxes and boxes of back issues. Something to fit every taste. If you're looking for a more rare item, maybe you're kind of, you know, I'd like to get that first appearance of Punisher or that first appearance of Spider-Gwen or do you have the death of Superman? Yeah, they've got it. Go talk to Larry at Bugs Comics and Games. Tell him what you're looking for. If he doesn't have it in the store, he can probably get his hands on it fairly quick. He's always buying new collections. So if you're looking to divest yourself of your comic books. Maybe you've got a huge stash and you just don't know what you're going to do with it anymore. Larry's going to give you top dollar for your books, which is why he always has new back issues in the store. And join the Avengers Club. Save some money in this economy. If you join the Avengers Club, you start saving money on your new books, on your pull list, on your back issues, on your supplies, whatever it is you get, you'll start saving money. So don't sacrifice your hobby in the economy save some money, join the Avengers Club. Check him out on Facebook, Bugs Comics and Games on Facebook. He's just started his Instagram page not that long ago. He's going to start doing things on there. So if you're outside the greater St. Louis, St. Charles area, follow him on Instagram, Bugs Comics and Games. And you can start seeing the stuff he's going to put up there and uh, make him your local comic book store. Maybe your local comic book store in your area has gone out of business. Sadly, many of them did. Uh, but if you're looking for a new one, let Larry and Bugs Comics and Games be your brand new local comic book store bugs comics and games on facebook very proud to have them as the official comic book sponsor here on geek to me radio speaking of you heard the voice of george newburn superman from the justice league leading us back from commercial break we're talking with superman editor mike carlin superman editor one of the many hats he's worn throughout his career and we were chatting about the death of superman before we went to commercial break um one of those things when we, You've got all these great people. I mean, you had Dan Jurgens, you had Roger Stern, you had we, the aforementioned Jerry Ordway, Louise Simonson, for crying out loud, all these brilliant people. When you're working on a large group of books, because I think they had four out at that particular time, uh, Man of Tomorrow hadn't come out yet. What is it like for someone like you, who you've got a bunch of aces at the top of their game working? Did, what, did you really have to do much as an editor? Or was it just kind of making sure the story's <laughs> connected? Because they did at that time with the little diamond symbol on each cover, so you knew this, the order to follow. What was it like as the editor at that time? Yeah, the, the smart thing I did was to hire people who knew what they were doing. <laughs> that, that, was the, that made it easier. And to me, an editor's job is to make their own life easier. Why, why hire people that you have to fight with all the time right. to get something good? But what I I don't think it was just easy because like if I was doing a uh, a one off book a month one book a month uh, called say the Atom and Roger Stern is writing that I don't have to do as much because Roger is amazing right but when you're trying to tie all the stories together there is a lot more to do there's a lot more coordination there's a lot more uh, you know judgment involved there's a lot more 
you know, overruling and picking one creator over another for based on whatever ideas are out there. There are some times where people are not crazy about everything that that's mm-hmm. on the table. And uh, it, it definitely I made my day a little harder than I needed to by tying the books together. <laughs> uh, at the same time, would there have been a fourth book? Would there have been a fifth book? Uh, if they weren't tied together, uh, should there be that many if they're not tied together? I, I don't know. So it was just like we kind of created our own monster by tying all the books together and um, and making a continuity. But for my money, that's why people are still talking about these books right. to this yeah. day. Great point. Yeah, because I remember in the it early was- 80s. You'd have to read Batman and then read Detective and then read Batman and read Detective. And then by the time I think the 90s rolled around, mid, late late 80s, early 90s, they were kind of two separate things. They might have a slight tangential connection, but they were separate entities. But the Superman books, I can imagine that would be difficult because you're really kind of watching everybody's story paced through these four titles. And, you know, and, and there was obviously mistakes happened here and there. You, could, you couldn't have something tipped off ahead of time if it hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. But the writers knew what was coming, so they might have mentioned it. So I, we just had to watch for those pitfalls and that kind of, uh, you know, oddball mistake. Uh, so it was definitely uh, an interesting way to do it. Uh, I, I also had one colorist on the whole on all four Ooh. books oh my in gosh. an effort to make it so that my day was easier again. Yeah. I had a guy who knew what Jimmy Olsen was wearing at the end of one issue before the next issue started so yes. he could color it the same. And that it was sense. like, it, it was something I needed to watch, but if you have one guy do it instead of four guys doing it, it doesn't become an issue. Yeah, so that makes I, sense. I, I and, found ways to, to to cover where the pitfalls might be with people who were good at doing what they did. And to go backwards for just a moment, some of the other stories, if you're involving another character like Panic in the Sky, had a whole cast of characters from mm-hmm. Deathstroke to Guardian to, you know, the Justice League. And then a little further back, you had Dark Knight over Metropolis where you teamed up with Batman. Is that something you have to reach out to the editor of those particular books to say, hey, what's going on with them and can we use them for this storyline? Or was it just kind of like uh, if, if they're not if they're available, they're available or how did that work? No, you have to. You you should be checking with the the editors who are the uh, supervisors of a character, or even if it's a, a character who doesn't have his own title, uh, you still reach out to the editor of the title mm. that that character started in or first appeared in. So that that was part of the editor's job was to just monitor the stuff and not to be a, a hindrance or to stop it, but to hopefully offer suggestions so that it made it work or made it fit. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I had worked with Denny O'Neill at Marvel and working with Denny as the Batman editor uh, on, on stuff. Batman was easy because we got along really well. And part, you know, part of my crew, you know, Roger Stern was an editor at Marvel when I worked there. He was a, a writer at Marvel. Louis Simonson was the same. John Bogdanov was the same. I, I, I stacked the deck. I stole a lot of people from Marvel <laughs> to just make my day easier. And and also, really, I just liked all these people. They were nice people and fun to work with. And, you know, and then later on, Archie Goodwin joined DC. And it mm. was like, it, it really was like my early 80s Marvel experience just kept going into the 90s. 
And we interviewed Louise Simonson at Terrificon this past summer, and she mentioned how much fun mm-hmm. she had playing with all the DC characters and how, how great an environment it was. So the environment you created must have done pretty well because every person I've talked to so far during that period has, has sung <laughs> your praises, which is why I reached out to you because I really wanted to have you on. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I mean, I could probably give you a couple of names that wouldn't do oh. uh, sing my praises, but I'm not going to. Right. Have to find them we, we can talk off air if that makes you feel better about it. <laughs> no, I'm not telling anybody. Not at all. You've okay. got to find them yourself. I'm sure they're out there and they're willing to talk, I'm sure. And you did mention Archie Goodwin. One of the things I loved was the fact that we had, uh, I'm not dropping names on purpose, but it's relevant. Anne Nesenti was on and she, you know, <laughs> some of these characters, they appear in the comic books on which they worked, and you yep. got that privilege. You, Archie Goodwin, and um, who was the other Denny one? Denny O'Neill. Denny O'Neill appeared in the Batman Adventures comic series uh, as as a, a trio of villains, which was kind of fun to see. Yeah, I, I you know, well, we were basically, before I became the executive editor and oversaw the whole DC universe, it, there was a period where Denny, Archie, and I were this three-headed monster that oversaw <laughs> the whole DC universe. And I think I got promoted just because I, I definitely I, I worked harder at it than they did. They were already like, yeah, let Mike do it. <laughs> so uh, it was kind of fun. But it was kind of a loving uh, tweak at us because uh, Archie's character was named Mr. Nice. And Denny's character was named The Professor. Mm. And my character was named Mastermind. And uh, we were this uh, trio of villains. And pretty much we were in jail every time we appeared because we were shitty villains. And uh, it was uh, really it was kind of fun. We appeared we appeared one time uh, in prison and we all had uh, prison prisoner numbers on our shirts and uh, they were our D.C. phone numbers. Oh, but nobody, nobody. Nobody ever noticed that or called us, and uh, <laughs> they missed the chance. They could have just called, uh, you know, Mr. Nice and the Mastermind anytime they wanted to, but <laughs> it, they never made the connection. Wow. Oh, I, oh well. <laughs> and and I, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit because you mentioned we're talking about DC Animation now, and that was one of your – you were the uh, chief creative officer, I believe was the name of the title. Yeah, uh, cre- chief creative director of animation for mm-hmm. DC and one of the things yeah. I've always talked about DC with my friends is their live action movies, especially more recently, have never been as good as their animated projects, which are always top shelf. Their the stuff has just been brilliant, starting with Batman, the animated series, all the way through to the stuff they're doing now with War World and things like that. What mm-hmm. was your role in the overall picture? And then when about did you come in and what uh, kind of was your your main projects you were over at that time? My my role didn't really start in animation until 2011. Hmm. I was editing comics at DC up until that year, and I was one of the first wave of people who moved out to California from New York uh, when DC was starting to move the whole company out yeah. here. And uh, I and I, I shifted over to the animation side of things, which was fine by me because I had been a big fan of all the stuff that those guys were doing, and uh, the, the big horrible secret is that the guys who were doing the animated TV shows were as big fans of the stuff as us. And they weren't, even if they were trying to do something new and surprising, it was never disrespectful or wrong. Yeah. They were just 
really on top of it as fans. And uh, it was, you know, obviously great to deal with uh, Bruce Tim and Alan Burnett in particular. I think Alan Burnett is the uh, the quiet storm in in that mix. Paul Dini and Bruce Tim get a lot of credit for the Batman show, but I think Alan Burnett is right in there with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a, he was a great writer and a, and a great uh, manager of uh, of the show, and uh, I think that's great. And, he, and when I first got out to California on the direct-to-video movies, Alan was still uh, running a lot of it, and Bruce Tim was involved in that. So it really was fun to just work with those guys because I was I was I had a lot of admiration for what they had done, and it was uh, fun to keep it going. <clears throat> my my job was really to be DC's liaison with them uh, and basically like read the scripts, work with them on premises, decide which movies we were going to end up doing. But they were Warner Brothers Animation. They were pretty much going to do what they wanted to do. I just needed to make sure they did uh, the stuff well. And Mm -hmm. so if they had a script or a story with a character and I thought, oh, this character might not really do this and i would then suggest how about trying this character or try this storyline or go this direction and i really was hopefully a partner to them and you'd have to talk to them about what they thought about dc's contribution but uh we we were in the thick of it with them and it was uh, a lot of fun for me because in a weird way i studied animation in uh, high school mm-hmm. and and college because I went to the High School of Art and Design in New York, right. and I studied art, and I went to the School of Visual Arts, and I studied art. And uh, in, fa- in fact, when I was a, in high school, I was selected to be an intern at D.C. in 1974. So I've been around D.C. for a lot of years, 50 years this year, actually. Next, it's the next year coming. Oh, wow. And uh, it was just like I've always been there, and I always I love the characters, and I love the the stuff, and I just loved working on it. And one of the fun circle things was I did the death of Superman in the comics thirty years ago, <laughs> and then we got to do the death of Superman again in the yeah. animated movie, and I was like involved, and it's like that's a weird thing, right? You know, usually it's somebody else's on it or. Somebody else who had nothing to do with the comics is involved, and it really was great. It was really fun. We've actually you we've know? got one of those uh, we've got one of those DC animators in our chat just popped up. Dan Reba oh. says, "Thank you, Mike!" <laughs> exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's probably mad that I didn't mention him as part of the Batman Adventures guys. <laughs> oh, he did concur. He said this. Alan is the best. He did say that in the uh, in the chat though as well. Uh, so, well, Dan is uh, he's a guy I went to. SVA with the School of Visual Arts, and I met him there, and uh, and yeah, we've kind of been uh, almost working together ever since. <laughs> yeah, Dan Dan's a fantastic guy. We we uh, we have him on our Justice League podcast that Susan Eisenberg and I do because he's yeah. just a fount oh, of boy. knowledge. He's the best. He's really great, and it, a great artist, which uh, you don't yes. always get to see from when somebody's a director of an episode or a storyboard artist. Their work doesn't get actually put in front of people's eyes but he is a great artist yeah we we mentioned because he does those every halloween he does those little monster sketches like i look mm-hmm. i think it's on a post-it note he said but my goodness like can i please yeah. buy all those and just put them on my wall yeah brilliant <laughs> artist really good he's good he's a good man 
Um, th- this hour is flying by. I needed to take another break. Are you okay to stick with me for the rest of the hour? Sure. Uh, sure. All right, thanks. We're going to take a very quick pause. We are going to come back in just a moment, talking more with Mike Carlin. Um, if you Again, if you want to, I'm not, I'm very technically challenged tonight, everyone, so I apologize. If you want to send through a chat, I will try to keep an eye on them. 84126. Just include your first name and your question for Mike Carlin, and I will try to get those questions to him as we proceed with the show. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio on the Big 550 KTRS. Please stand by. Hi, this is Brent Spiner. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back to Geek to Me Radio. As we wrap up our final segment of the night here, we want to make sure we tell you about our premier sponsor, the people without whom this show would not be possible, and that, of course, is the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. You should check out the website, discoverstcharles.com. Right now, they're they're knee-deep into their Christmas festival. 49 years. They just had a big thing on Great Day St. Louis on Channel 4. Uh, some of you may have seen the Carer characters and carolers out there partaking the thing from jack frost to our caroling groups to ebenezer scrooge himself out there you can interact with these people just head to downtown st charles right there along south main street you can find the uso evergreen singing songs of yesteryear the cobblestone wassaliers singing old time christmas carols and of course the aforementioned characters I've got. You can go buy Wassail from the Eight Maids of Milken. You can talk to international gift givers from around the world like Santa Lucia, La Bafana, St. Nicholas, and Father Christmas, all while hanging out in the beautiful picturesque cobblestone streets. When you go down there, it is literally like you're stepping back in time. So avoid the hustle and bustle of the mall. Don't go to the big box stores this Christmas. No, 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 no. That's not good enough for my listeners. Go check out a very charming, picturesque, area that is made up of small businesses you're going to find unique gift ideas you wouldn't have thought about getting but you're going to be like wow i'm glad i came down here and got this because my aunt my sister my uncle my brother is going to love this thing i got for them uh great stores and the food my goodness you could just eat your way up and down one end of main street to the other and i have uh great food for everything from salt and smoke they've got uh cobblers at magpies and fresh sandwiches just good food Anywhere you go, you can't go to a restaurant and get a bad meal down there on South Main Street and North Main Street as well. So check them out. If you're from out of town, like our guest, Mike Carlin, or if you're here local, like my friend Joey V sitting right across the board from me, just go to the website, start your trip there, discoverstcharles.com. That's discoverstcharles.com. Very proud to have them as our premier sponsor. They've been with the show since the beginning in 2016, and it's a great partnership because they are a fantastic organization i love talking about them because they always do so many cool things throughout the year but christmas is probably one of my favorite times when they decorate those streets saint charles christmas traditions going every friday saturday and sunday with their krampus knocked on friday nights and then their traditional caroling groups and processions and santa parades saturday and sunday plan your trip at the website once again discover stcharles.com as we always say it's an historically good time we have Mike Carlin with us for just this last 12 minutes. Man, this has rocketed by. I've got all these notes, Mike. You can't see them. I'm showing them <laughs> to the camera, which I may or may not be functioning. Um, I didn't even get to cover part of this just because we've just been kind of chatting about so many stuff. But I did want to ask you, we've had Brent Spiner bringing us back from commercial break because I'm a Star Trek fan. And I'm guessing you are, too, because you wrote some Star Trek comics for DC. 
Yep, I, I got to I got to do a lot of things that I wanted to do, that I like to do, that I love to do. And uh, I was a Star Trek fan. I would not say I'm a fanatic. I wouldn't say I know everything that ever happened with Star <laughs> Trek. But uh, I got to write some of the uh, original Star Trek comics for DC, and I got to write the Next Generation uh, miniseries yes. that actually was written and, and started before the show even premiered oh, on wow. TV. Well, yeah, but that that's part of the problem with that series is that uh, I worked from the Bible for the series when they actually thought Jean-Luc Picard would be a French guy oh. and not a British guy. <laughs> <laughs> not an so English my comic actor. <laughs> book, my comic book uh, version says Sacre Blue more than he should. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of make it so with Sacre Blue, that should have stuck. I don't know why. Well, I think they were right <laughs> to go with who they had. So when you're doing that, obviously you you said you worked on the series Bible. It's a brand new spinoff series that they're launching here. Um, Did you get to interact at all with Gene Roddenberry? Did he have any uh, input? No, no. My editor, I worked with the editor at DC. He would send the stuff to, I guess, Paramount at the time. And they had people read it and approve it. And I'm sure it never made it anywhere near Gene. Ah. Uh, Though they did kind of use one of the story ideas that we came up with uh, in the in the series where we had uh, uh, Riker became uh, a Q candidate and uh, Q kind of promoted Riker into the Q universe or whatever yeah. they called it back then. <laughs> uh, and they did they did that in an episode, I think. Yeah, that does sound familiar. Yeah. And I know we we were talking with Peter David, who is a huge Star Trek fan, and he mm-hmm. told us the story about the the novel that he wrote, where Q gives his power to Loxana Troy, which was a hysterical book, uh, and that would have been something I would have liked to have seen an episode. Majel Barrett with the power of Q. Yeah, really. Well, <laughs> Peter David was always a guy who liked to get a lot of humor in his comics as yeah. well, uh, which I always appreciated. That uh, I think uh, some comics take themselves too seriously. Some of DC's movies take themselves too seriously, Definitely. and I think it's uh, it's something that uh, it, it, it's good to spice it up a little bit and keep it uh, fun. And it's such a great point, too, because I think a lot of, you know, you see the criticisms early on for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're saying, ah, it's too funny. It's, you know, it's it's too funny. I think the humor was always there, especially when you read the Spider-Man titles. But that is something yeah. that was missing from the DC Comics movies more. And I love Blue Beetle because the Blue Beetle and Ted Kord's my Blue Beetle. But Jaime Reyes, that was a fun movie. Yeah, I real I like that movie, too. And I liked it because it was about one character and one situation and one cast of characters. And it wasn't about a whole universe, let alone a multiverse. I think that, uh, you know, DC kind of got there in comics first, but they didn't, they didn't go so whole hog with it. And now it's like every movie that comes out is about the multiverse. And (laughs) even things that don't have superheroes. in them. Right. (laughs) And it's just like, uh, it's okay. It's a good idea, but let's not do it only. Let's do other stuff too. Right. Yeah. Some people uh, say it's almost an excuse for, well, it doesn't matter what happens to this character because there's a multiverse out there. Well, I think there's, there's a fun aspect in live action where you say, Hey, we've had three Spider-Mans in the last 15 years and they're all here. Yeah. And we can get them all. So let's have them all pull point at each other. And it's like, I get it. 
that 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 is kind of cool and kind of fun. And same things with Batman. So we've got enough Batmans running around that you can have a a, a fun day with it. But it's 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 to me, it's not a story with a, a compelling uh, uh, hook. It's just it's kind of a gimmick. And uh, I think it's you know when when you see movies like uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once mm-hmm. that also does that. But they're, it's all characters you don't know, so you're kind of given – the story is about these characters because you're learning about the characters, and that's not the case. It's like it's just enough to have George Clooney walk on stage and say, I'm Batman, right. and everyone goes, hey, they got the other Batman. Yeah. And it's like it, it just it, – it becomes less of a story and more of a, you know, uh, a painting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like, hey, that's well put. Drawing a, three guys put together. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's well put. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. Um, I, I'm interested to see what James Gunn, cause I know James Gunn's a comic book fan. So I, I've got my hopes high for what they might do, especially yeah. with the slate of projects he's announced. And I know uh, we just got a few minutes left. I, gosh, we need to have you back on Mike, or I need a second hour, one of the two, but um, <laughs> uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about before I let you go tonight is the, the slate of castings that's just come down for the new Superman film that he's doing. Do you have thoughts on it? Any, any ideas? I know Jerry Ordway says he wants to see Michael Rooker as Bibbo. Uh, what are your thoughts on the <laughs> casting so far? Well, I'm I'm also optimistic with James Gunn because he does get that you need to have some humor in these movies. Uh, I I just hope it's not so much humor like the uh, a Peacemaker show was, yeah. which was a great show. But I would like to not have a Superman movie be like that. Uh, at the same time, I think his casting is fine for Superman. I liked Henry Cavill. I just personally, I don't think that he really had a script that had superman in it agreed and uh and i think that uh uh mrs mizell is going to be the perfect lois lane i think she's awesome i think she's really good and uh i i'm a little nervous that they're casting so many characters on the side like metamorpho and mr terrific in the first superman movie yeah. i would like it again be about superman right and give me you don't have to give me the origin but just give me something that's about him and how he he gets through an adventure and you know bring in brainiac please because he's a good villain and that would be really fun yeah. uh but you know you you and and populate the daily planet with the, the the civilian characters are what made my era on superman work i believe because it's not just about super villains and superpowers it's about how does this affect people you know, when Superman exactly. died, it was all about how it affected all of Metropolis. Right. And if you look at any of these other movies or even the comics these days in general, they're they're just they're about the superheroes and they're not about the people who they're saving. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I think uh, that it is that human element, which is why, I, you know, I liked characters like Gangbuster and Guardian those street level yeah. heroes in the Superman world, I, th- those characters worked so well because it kind of brought everything down to that humanity level. It definitely was uh, something we did. And we just did it kind of naturally, partly because we grew up reading the Stan Lee comics mm. and the Denny O'Neill Green Lanterns. And it was about real stuff and it was about real things yeah. alongside the hyperbolic superheroes and, you know, flying guys and, people with magic rings and it was just like it was they were in a place and now and i'm not so much as 
I'm not seeing that so much. And I wish that's what I liked about the Blue Beetle movie. I thought that one was really yes, uh, Earth. Yeah. And uh, we've got a quick question before I let you go. I I apologize on our text lines. Uh, Our friend Chance in Atlanta, Georgia is listening. He wanted to know if you could answer who created Obnoxio the Clown mascot for Crazy Magazine at Marvel. Do you know who that was? I would assume, I don't know who it was, but I would assume it was uh, Larry Hama, who was the editor of Crazy Magazine at that time. Gotcha. All right. That's my assumption. Gotcha. Yeah, okay, so Chance, uh, hopefully that he, Alan, or Alan Kupperberg was who he guessed, who Chance had guessed, but well, Larry Hamlet does make sense. They did, they did some comic book sequences of Obnoxio that Alan Kupperberg drew. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and oh. he may have even written them, but I think as as a mascot for the magazine, I thought it came from Larry him, himself. <laughs> that, that would make sense. The, the creator of Peter Porker Spider-Ham as well, Larry Hama. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and G.I. Joe. We, yeah, oh, my gosh. But we've, Larry, we, we had Bob Budiansky on the show, who is, to me is the godfather of Transformers, and I want yeah. Larry on so bad because, again, I'm an 80s kid, so I grew up playing G.I. Joe and Transformers. I'd love to pick Larry's brain about his work on Wolverine and some of the other stuff he's done, but... Uh, yeah, it doesn't get more, much more fascinating of an individual than Larry Hama. Well, he, he hired me at Crazy Magazine, so mm. I was uh, I, I like him, too. I think he's good. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I hope your audience is all about the 80s because uh, 80s and 90s are where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, and that's 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 my uh, – I, I, no better time in history, the two best decades, in my personal opinion. But what do I know again? Um, as we wrap up here, are you very active on social media? Is there any place people can keep up with you if they want to interact with um, you, find out more about you? I'm on Facebook uh, fairly often. I think my page is – pretty public. Uh, I don't have a lot of room as far as friend requests go because they have a limit for some reason. I don't understand that. But uh, yeah, so I don't have a lot of room to add a million people, but uh, I'm happy to just, I I answer questions. I'm part of some Facebook groups. There's a a Triangle Era Superman group that I'm a a member of. and There's a uh, Nightfall uh, group Mm. that does kind of the same thing about the, the, the Batman books. Uh, about the 90s, so I, I pipe up every now and then, and I, I, get, I get involved. Very cool, and I greatly appreciate your time. Like I said, we will definitely have to have you on because there's so much more we could have talked about. Uh, if you wouldn't mind hanging on the line, because I'm going to talk to you as soon as I wrap the show, okay? Sure. Thank you very much, well, you Mike Carlin, ladies and gentlemen. There he goes. Another show in the books. I apologize for the issues with the video to all of you. If you're listening right now, we'll hopefully have video up again next week when we have Dan Chichester on to talk about the new Daredevil Black series. Very excited about that. And we'll talk to you more about our Justice League podcast that Susan Eisenberg. We just had George Newburn on the show uh, to cover Injustice for All, that episode. So check that out on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you to Joey V for coming in tonight on a blustery December. Actually, it's kind of nice out, but on a December evening, nonetheless, on a Saturday, Sunday. I'm all over the board. I'm going I'm to sign off. Thank you all for listening. And until next week, my friends. That's our show. This is Geek to Me Radio. Thank you, Metropolis. Good night. Hey, kids. Are your parents about to buy you a shiny new toy from Amazon? Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Well, don't be selfish. Share some of that money with us. 
before going on Amazon, make sure to type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. It will look just like Amazon.com, except it'll say referral geek to me radio up top. And then when you check out, a tiny percentage will go to support the show without costing you one cent more. So before your parents get you that gizmo, gadget, or widget, make sure they type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. Bit.ly slash geek to me. Bit.ly slash geek to me.